Thanks for listening to Porchlight Music Theater's WPMT. If you love classic musicals, why not check out Porchlight's Sondheim at 90 Roundtable, our discussion series focusing on the complete works of Stephen Sondheim, with me, Porchlight Artistic Director Michael Weber. I've had a great time discussing all of the musicals of Sondheim's incredible career with stars from Chicago theater, Broadway, and beyond weekly throughout Sondheim's 90th birthday year. Listen today to Sondheim at 90 Roundtable for a behind-the-scenes deep dive into the mind, the music, and the writing methods of one of music theater's greatest composers. Available right here on your favorite podcast platform. Search for Sondheim at 90 Roundtable or visit porchlightmusictheater.org for more information. I'm Michael Weber, Artistic Director of Chicago's Porchlight Music Theater. Opening at the Alvin Theater on January 23, 1941, Lady in the Dark brought the international star Gertrude Lawrence back to Broadway, where she had triumphed in the musical plays Tonight at 8.30, The International Review, Treasure Girl, OK, and Andre Charlotte's Review of 1924. Considered startlingly avant-garde in 1941 for both its structure and content, this probing psychological thriller examines the impossible contortions the human mind goes through to have it all. Unfulfilled in both her personal and professional life, and obsessed with an enchanting tune she can't quite finish, the eponymous lady of the title, fashion magazine editor Liza Elliott, finds her way onto the psychoanalytic couch. The musical's theme of psychoanalysis is said to be based on director-lyricist Moss Hart's own experiences with Dr. Gregory Zilborg. Kurt Beil's arresting score with dazzling lyrics by Ira Gershwin dissects Liza's psyche in extended interludes that collide her neurotic real life with glamorous dreamscapes in which she works out her conflicting desires. By the end, she just may find her way out of the dark. In the original 1941 production, young Danny Kaye emerged as a star brilliantly executing the tongue-twisting lyrics to Tchaikovsky in this musical that brought Ira Gershwin back to Broadway for the first time since his brother George's death in 1937. There'll be more on this program following the performance, but now, here on the October 19, 1947 episode of the Theatre Guild on the Air are John Conti, Keen Crockett, Alan Hewitt, and, from the original Broadway cast, Bert Lytell and Gertrude Lawrence in Lady in the Dark. United States Steel, USS, the industrial family that serves the nation, presents the Theatre Guild on the Air. Our star, Gertrude Lawrence. Our play, Lady in the Dark. Adapted for radio by Philip Lewis. And produced on the air tonight by the Theater Guild. One of America's foremost theatrical producers. Every day, everywhere, you are served by products of steel. 
In your home, in your business, in your travel. The trademark of United States Steel, USS, on any steel product is your guide to quality steel. From the stage of the Opera House in Boston, Massachusetts, the United States Steel Corporation brings you Lady in the Dark. And here is Roger Pryor speaking for the Theater Guild. Good evening, everyone. Our play tonight, Lady in the Dark, has made theatrical history in a way, for it has been acclaimed by critics and public alike as a new kind of a musical play. A fine piece of contemporary writing by Moss Hart, plus music by Kurt Weill, and lyrics by Ira Gershwin. Tonight, Gertrude Lawrence stars as Liza Elliott, the role she created in the original production. Playing Charlie Johnson is John Conti of the new Theatre Guild stage success, Allegro. Bert Lytell will be heard in the part of Kendall Nesbitt, which he played in the Broadway production, and Alan Hewitt is featured as Dr. Brooks. Miss Liza Elliott, editor of that famous magazine, Allure, the house organ of triumphant femininity. And Liza Elliott was the editor and oracle of this magazine, its brain and driving spirit. Uh, pardon me, but I think you should add that actually none of it gave her any satisfaction whatever. Oh, Dr. Brooks. Well, you'd be the one to know about that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Brooks from our play. Doctor, as Liza Elliott's psychoanalyst, would you mind telling us... What was your impression when you first saw her? Well, she was obviously a woman who might have been very beautiful. But I was amazed to notice how very plain she had made herself. Her clothes, hat, and hairdress were all very simple. She wore no jewelry, hardly any makeup. There was considerable tension in her manner and in her voice when she spoke. Dr. Brooks. How do you do, Miss Elliot? Please come in. Thank you. Well, a room full of sunlight and flowers. Psychoanalysis with charm. <laughs> I hope you approve. Please sit down. Dr. Brooks, may I tell you something? I resent this visit, this necessity to ask for your help. There's nothing strange in my life. I'm doing the kind of work I like, and I'm quite successful at it. A splendid man is in love with me, and I return his feelings. But something has gone wrong with me lately. I can't tell you what or why. Not unusual, Miss Elliot. Let's say that if you did know, you wouldn't be here. Dr. Brooks, I've come here in desperation. I've fought this, this thing. I've tried to pull myself out, but I can't. I've clung desperately to my work to try to steady myself, but now that's beginning to go, too. Yesterday, something happened at the office that frightened me very much. That's why I phoned you for this appointment. That seems a good place to start. Will you tell me about it? Well, I... I was holding a staff meeting in my office. Just a routine affair with Maggie Grant, my assistant, and Charlie Johnson, our business manager. I had called in Russell Paxton, our photographer, to discuss the cover for the April issue. I tell you, Liza, it simply has to be the circus cover. I'm mad about those giraffes. Are you, Russell? What do you think, Maggie? Liza, I've been telling you. We've had cute covers for six months now. 
Let's be serious for a change. I like the Easter cup. Oh, Maggie, you and your serious things give me indigestion. Russell, I have your opinion. Will you please let me get the others? Then I'm going. Because I promise you, Liza, if you don't decide on the circus cover, I shall be sick right here in your office. That's that. And now you, Mr. Johnson, what's your idea? Me, boss lady? You're asking my opinion? Oh, please don't sound so abused, Johnson. I'm simply wondering if you have any suggestions for the cover. Look, I'm the business manager. What makes you think I have any editorial ideas? Why not, Charlie? You always seem interested in the new styles, especially when they have models inside them. Uh, just like to handle the new fabrics, Maggie, that's all. Oh, now don't be pixie, Johnson. Please bear in mind that we are here on business. All right, then I'll talk business. I remember we used to have an editor here who could stamp out decisions like a weighing machine. Circus cover, Easter cover, yes, no. In those days, Miss Elliot didn't call in the hired help. She could make up her own mind. Charlie, stop it. Oh, no, Maggie. And as I remember, a very handsome mind it was, too. I'm afraid, Mr. Johnson, you're in the wrong office. That will be all. Thank you very much. Oh, no, boss lady. Let's face it. Once upon a time, I could put every issue of this magazine to press on schedule. Why, I could get decisions from you as easy as... Please, you're being very tiresome. Boss lady, you want me to make up your mind? Johnson, get out of this office. Get out. I won't be pushed around in this hateful, offensive manner. I... What in the world is the matter with me? Leave this office, I said. Johnson, get out of here. Wow. Lucky I saw that coming. They shouldn't make these paperweights out of glass. They don't bounce, you know. Charlie, you fiend, you'd better go. Yes, it's getting dangerous. Will you excuse me? So long, boss lady. Maggie, Maggie, what's happened to me? I, I've never done a thing like that in all my life. Now, now, never mind, dear. That Charlie, I could strangle. I don't know why I was so infuriated, Dr. Brooks. Mr. Johnson actually is the best man on his job in New York. And that was only his usual manner. Normally, I'm a calm and collected person. That's why this whole thing frightens me. How long have you been editor of the magazine, Miss Elliot? Eight years. Kendall Nesbitt, the publisher, backed it for me. Oh, there's no need for me to be schoolgirlish about this, Dr. Brooks. Mr. Nesbitt is the man I mentioned originally. His wife refuses to divorce him. I see. And how do you feel about that? Well, I, I no longer think about it. Kendall is very dear to me. I'm content with that. I've said there's nothing strange in my life. I've come to you for treatment of this... this tension. Dr. Brooks, can you help me? I don't know. Now, what does that mean? Miss Elliot, it would be wrong for me to suggest that I know what your difficulty is. I can only advise that you embark upon a trial analysis for a month, let's say. A month? Very well. I can start next week. In the light of what you've told me, I think you should start immediately. Now? Yes. But why? Why is this suddenly so urgent? I happen to think it is. Very well. What is it you want me to do? It's a simple procedure, Miss Elliot. Just remove your hat, lie down on the couch, and speak any of the thoughts that come into your mind. Here? Like this? Yes. That's good. Make yourself comfortable. I'll sit here behind you. Begin when you please. I'm listening. Anything at all that comes to your mind. How curious. How very curious. Out of all the millions of little pieces of which my life is made up, 
one silly little thing keeps going round and round in my mind. What is it? Oh, it's a a song. Some little song I knew as a child. What are the words of the song? I don't remember them. Just a word here and there. About a ship. Sails. No, no, I I can't remember. Have you ever thought of the song before? Yes. When? At what time? Oh, I don't know exactly. When I'm depressed, usually. For instance, last night I knew I was coming to see you this morning and it worried me. The song kept running through my mind. Then when I fell asleep, I had a strange dream. What was it? Oh, I don't know. Kendall Nesbitt and Charlie Johnson were in it in some queer way. It, it was confused. I, I, I can't remember. Try. What was the dream? Well, it was a great public square, a holiday, a crowd. I was standing alone above them on a balcony. I was dressed magnificently, and everyone was looking at me. Good evening, Miss Elliot. Good evening, Miss Elliot. I beg your pardon. Who are all you handsome gentlemen? We are the metropolitan chapter of the organized, amalgamated admirers of Liza Elliot. Oh, how nice. You mean you're organized now? We are organized and waiting, Miss Elliot, for you. We come to serenade the lovely lady we adore. Oh, fabulous one in your ivory tower, your radiance I fain would see. What Melisande was to Pelias are you to me? What Beatrice was to Dante, what Guinevere was to Lancelot, what Brunhilde was to Siegfried, what Pocahontas was to Captain Smith, are you to me? Me a soapbox, please. I want to make a speech. I say to me every morning, you've only one life to live. So why be dunning? Let's let the sun in and gloom can jump in the rib. No use to beat on the dull drum. Let's be imaginative. Each day is One life to live. Why let the goblins upset you? One smile and see how they run. And what does worrying net you? Nothing. Nothing. No. The yes. is to have fun. Oh, it may sound kind of hackneyed, but it's the best I can give. So not December, so please remember. Give only one life to live. Yeah, one life to live. Oh, girl of the moment with the smile of the dead and the charm. 
the messengers. I bring a message for Miss Liza Elliott. A message for me. From? From the President of the United States. And? The President requests? Yes. For the furtherance of goodwill, the national unity, and the advancement of cultural and artistic achievement. Yes. The portrait of Miss Liza Elliott shall be painted and her likeness used on the new three-cent stamp. Oh, how lovely. Hold that pose, Miss Elliott. Now, one, two, three. The portrait is finished. Oh. No. No, no, that isn't me. Looks like Liza. What is it like? The looks of Liza, size of Liza. But if it's Liza, why is Liza so unliza like? I painted Liza. It must be Liza. If that is Liza, and this is Liza, what is Liza really like? What is Liza really like? What is Liza really like? Listen to me. All you men are deceived. This isn't Liza at all. Liza Elliot doesn't know who she is. That's not true. Don't believe it. Doesn't know who she is. It ended in a confusion of jeering voices. A wave of shame and guilt swept over me. I see, Miss Elliot. Now, I want to ask you, did anything about this dream strike you particularly? Only that it seems incredible, Dr. Brooks, in relation to myself. Yes, but you dreamed it. Doesn't it strike you as strange that this glamorous woman you imagined yourself to be was the complete opposite of your everyday self? Well, I don't know what you mean. Well, hasn't it ever seemed curious, Miss Elliot, that you reject feminine charms for yourself... Yet you spend your life telling other women how to be beautiful for the obvious purpose of attracting men. I can't see any significance in that, Dr. Brooks. Perhaps I'm luckier than most women. I've already told you I have the love I want, and I'm content. Then you're fortunate indeed. Well, that will do for today. Have you found out anything, Dr. Brooks? Only what you've told me. Tomorrow at ten? Yes, Dr. Brooks. Good day. The office has been such a madhouse this last week, I haven't had a chance to talk to you. Been to see the Wizard of Oz? Oh, Maggie. You mean Dr. Brooks? Of course. Is that where you've been every morning? Yes. It's going to be a slow process, Maggie. Liza, Liza. What is it, Russell? Liza, I've taken pictures of beautiful males, but this one is the end, the absolute end. What are you talking about? Randy Curtis, Liza, Randy Curtis. The movie star, Liza. He's outside. He's asked to see you, Liza. Oh, I tell you, he's godlike. Oh, Liza, he's a beautiful hunk of man. Well, let's not leave him out there, Russell. Lillian? Yes, Miss Elliot. Please ask Mr. Curtis to come in. Yes, Miss Elliot. Wait till you see the pictures I took. Oh, if we could only use him on the cover. Put a Lily Dashay hat on him and maybe we can. Oh, Maggie, really. <gasps> come in, Mr. Curtis. This is Miss Elliot and Miss Grant. Mr. Curtis. How do you do? Hello, Mr. Curtis. It's nice to see you again, Miss Elliot. Again, Mr. Curtis? Yes, we've met before, about a year ago. At Mrs. Brackett's. I took you home, in fact. Uh, we even sat in the car and talked for a bit. Oh, of course, of course. How stupid of me to forget... And you remembered. Well, I don't often meet women who have something to talk about, especially in automobiles. Want to take me home some night, Mr. Curtis? I won't forget it. Oh, I do this all the time. Can we have a drink together before you go back to Hollywood? Oh, say, I'd certainly like to, but I can't. My plane leaves for the coast at six. Uh, but how about the next time I'm in town? May I phone you? Oh, please do, by all means. Now, Mr. Curtis, I must have one more pose. I want to take you while you still have that gorgeous color. Okay, let's get it over. I'll go along with you. Nice to see you, Miss Elliot. Goodbye, Mr. Curtis. 
Miss Foster, get Mr. Johnson. He's been waiting, Miss Elliot. Yeah, if you're through with the hero of the horse operas, here I am. I heard you wanted to see me. Yes, Johnson. I want to speak briefly about our last meeting. I realize my behavior was inexcusable, and I'm very sorry. (laughs) What's so funny? (laughs) Is that what you think of a sincere apology? Ah, come on, boss. You enjoyed throwing that paperweight. You're just upset because you have such bad aim. Now, look here, Johnson. I don't like you. I never have. You're here because you're excellent at your job, and I've never allowed my personal feelings to interfere with the magazine. Now, I hope we understand each other. My, my. Now I'm beginning to see the whites of your eyes. Oh, hello, Kendall. Come in. Morning, Liza. Morning, Johnson. Uh, be careful, Mr. Nesbitt. Teacher's mad. So long. What do you mean by that, Liza? Aren't you feeling any better? Oh, yes, dear, a little. Was anything wrong, Kendall? No, darling. And I don't think that you'll have to see your Dr. Brooks anymore. Darling, what do you mean? Liza, we both suffered because... because we couldn't marry. And I know that's worse for a woman than a man. Well, I had a long talk with Kate again, and Liza, she's agreed to a divorce. Oh. Finally, Liza, finally. Oh, Kendall, I... I know, but... Well, it's what we've always wanted, Liza. Yes, dear, but oughtn't we to talk about this? I Talk about it? Well, I mean, I didn't expect it just now. Why, Liza, you astonish me. I simply... Answer that phone, will you, and let's get back to this. Yes, yes. Hello? Who? Oh, Mr. Curtis. You're not going back tonight. Dinner? No, I'm afraid I simply couldn't. Tomorrow, yes, perhaps. Well, phone me around noon. All right, thank you. Goodbye. Which Curtis was there? Randy Curtis, the movie actor. Russell's taking his picture. I see. Now, listen, Liza, I... uh... Kendall, must we discuss this now? It's been such a long day, and I'm very tired. Well, let me take you home now, Liza. Then we can talk. No, no, dear, no. I still have a lot of work. I wish I knew what you were thinking. Liza, don't fail me. I need you more than I dare admit to myself. Now I'm alone. Kendall, we can't discuss it now. Later, dear, later. Forgive me, darling. Can we have dinner together? Yes, all right, Kendall. Come to the house. Good. I'll see you at seven. Why doesn't it stop? If I can't remember, let it stop. Stop what, Liza? Oh, is that you, Maggie? What is the matter with you? Nothing, darling, nothing. It's a song, a tune running through my mind. Liza, you simply must relax for a few minutes. Why don't you lie down? I can't, Maggie. I have to clean up my work and go home. Kendall will be there for dinner. All the more reason. You look all done in. Lillian, Miss Maggie speaking. Yes, Miss Maggie. Shut this thing off and no visitors. We want it quiet in here. Yes, Miss Maggie. Now, Liza, lie down on the divan. I'll draw the curtain. But I shall fall asleep, Maggie. So much the better. I'm so tired, Maggie. Why does everything happen at once? Hush, darling. Just lie back and rest. There. I'll come back later. So much. So much all at once. I'm so tired. So tired. Sorry, Miss Elliot isn't here. If I'm not mistaken, she just stepped away from her desk to marry Mr. Nesbitt. Gosh, Liza Elliot's getting married. 
Why, we went to high school together. Now Kendall Nesbitt is buying the ring. I can't decide. Shall it be a gay circusy ring or a serious one? I need help. I'd help you always, Miss Elliot. You'd be my shining star. Look, it's Randy Curtis. He's kissing Liza. Yes, 40 million women sigh for him, but he sighs for Liza. But I thought she was marrying Mr. Nesbitt. And now here's the irreverent Mr. Johnson to read the marriage service. You, Charlie. Hiya, kid. Uh, <clears throat> if there be any who know why these two should not be joined in wedlock, why, speak right up, see? I'll speak. I'll tell you about this woman. Liza Elliott doesn't love this man. That's not true. <laughs> It is true. She doesn't want to marry him. Admit it, Liza. You don't want to marry Kendall. Oh, I do. I do. I don't. Yes, no. Yes, no. Don't. Oh, somebody help me. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. So once again, a woman's jeering voice broke up your dream. Was it the same voice as before? Wait. No, it wasn't, Dr. Brooks, I'm sure. Hmm. Did you see Mr. Nesbitt afterwards at dinner? No, I simply couldn't face it. Miss Elliot, had you ever realized before that you didn't want Mr. Nesbitt to divorce his wife? It seems the very thought of having a man of your own sends you into a panic. Dr. Brooks, that's absurd. You see, you were safe with Mr. Nesbitt before, because he was never really yours. He was already taken. When the chance came to have him for your own, why were you so frightened? Because... You're confusing me, Dr. Brooks. If you can't help me... You're frightened because you refuse to compete with another woman. Refuse? But that's absurd. That's my work, my whole career. Oh, yes, you work to make other women more beautiful, but you reject beauty and femininity for yourself because you're afraid. I think this is preposterous. I know it is. I wanted help, but now I see that you can't help me. No one can. I've had enough, Dr. Brooks. I'm through with this. Please send me a bill for my visits. As you like, Miss Elliot. But... As I see it now, I think it advisable to keep the appointments open in case you change your mind. You needn't, Dr. Brooks, because I shan't change my mind. I'm not coming back. Goodbye. listening to Lady in the Dark, produced by the Theater Guild on the Air and presented by the United States Steel Corporation. And here, speaking for United States Steel, is George Hicks. Good evening. I'm speaking to you tonight from the stage of the Magnificent Opera House in Boston, Massachusetts, before an audience of more than 3,000 people, including business and civic leaders and United States Steel Corporation employees. I'm sure most of you know Boston for its rich historical and cultural traditions. But I wonder how many of you realize that Greater Boston today is one of America's vital centers of commerce and industry. Yes, this forward-looking section produces nearly $2 billion worth of manufactured goods each year and is a leading factor in the nation's wholesale and retail trade. Indeed, it was America's first real industrial center. And many of our great industries, such as the shoe, textile, and machine tool industry, were born in this area. You might even say the steel industry got its start here, for the first successful iron enterprise in America was a furnace established in 1645, over 300 years ago, 
at nearby Saugus, Massachusetts. Today, of course, in this bustling Boston area and throughout all New England, the demands for steel are tremendous. Building industries, steel fabricators, manufacturing plants, railroads, shipyards, and scores of other New England steel users are asking for more and more steel to meet the huge and long-pent-up needs of consumers. In order to help satisfy these extraordinary demands for steel in New England and throughout the entire country, the United States Steel Corporation is increasing its steel-producing facilities with a half-billion-dollar expansion and modernization program. Expenditures right now are being made at the rate of $20 million per month or approximately two-thirds of a million dollars per day. This program represents the very definite way in which U.S. Steel is expanding and improving production facilities to meet its responsibilities to you, the public. And it's the way U.S. Steel is proving its faith in the future of New England and of all America. Speaking here in Boston tonight, where so many of our country's famous forefathers lived and died... I can't help but think how such a program justifies their faith, too. Their faith in the future of the nation they founded on the blessed principles of human freedom and democracy. You are listening to the Theater Guild on the Air, presented by the industrial family that serves the nation, United States Steel. Now the curtain rises on the second act of Lady in the Dark, starring Gertrude Lawrence as Liza and featuring John Conti as Charlie, Bert Lytell as Kendall, and Alan Hewitt as Dr. Brooks. Liza Elliott, editor of Allure magazine, has quit Dr. Brooks, her psychoanalyst, because he has said she's afraid of love. And when she returns to her office that afternoon, it's easy to see that Dr. Brooks has not made her happy. Liza, thank heaven. I've called everywhere trying to find you. You look like a ghost. What's happened? Kate is giving Kendall a divorce, Maggie. But I... I thought you wanted that. I thought so, too. Maggie, why have I been driving around Long Island since 7 o'clock this morning? I can't think anymore, I tell you. I can't. I've quit the analysis, Maggie. You shouldn't have, Liza. It might have helped. I couldn't stand it. Miss Elliot? Yes? Mr. Nesbitt is here. Oh, all right. Have him come in. Don't you want to put him off? No, no, Maggie, no. I've tried that already. Facing him can't be worse than this. Hello, Kendall. Hello, Maggie. I'll be back later, Liza. What happened, Liza? I've worried about you all day. I don't know what happened, Kendall. I, I just had an impulse to run away, that was all. Darling, I'm sorry I was such a fool. You don't want to marry me. Is that it? Don't be polite. Kendall, you know how I've been feeling lately. It, it's come at a bad time. I won't let you off, Liza. You haven't the right to trifle with other lives. I won't let you. No, not even with the excuse of illness. Don't talk to me like that, Kendall. I won't take it from you or anybody else. I'm fighting this thing as hard as I know how. Liza, listen to me. My life has come to a stop. I'm fighting for my future. Kendall, give me time. I promise I'll see you tonight after my dinner engagement. Call me at home. I'm going to fight, Liza. I can't help that. Excuse the interruption, boss lady. Got a minute? I'll phone you uh, around 10 o'clock. Yes, Liza. dear, I'll be there. 
Well, what is it, Johnson? Can't it wait? It might, but I want to get it over. This is what might be termed my resignation, boss lady. What? Now, please, no tears. Just a light kiss on the cheek, perhaps, and a quick goodbye. Hot dog. You're pretty thin-skinned, aren't you? You think I'm tossing in the towel just because you spanked me? No, I got a better offer, that's all. Really? Where? Town and country. I'll meet it. Why? I annoy the pants off you, don't I? That has nothing to do with the way you do your job. I'll meet their figure. Does that settle it? Look, this has nothing to do with salary. I'm taking less. But I can get something there that I can never get here. Your job. I'm afraid that's what I want. How nice of you to be so frank. Yeah. I'm ambitious. Never suspect, would you? But I'm an eager lad, full of dreams. And there isn't a chance here. You married that desk years ago, boss lady, and you're never going to get a divorce. I know your kind. Do you really? Yep. You have magazines instead of baby. Well, maybe you're right. There's a lot like you. All right, Johnson, perhaps you'd better leave. You're an ill-mannered bore, and I wonder whether that isn't the extent of your talent. Rage is a pretty good substitute for sex, isn't it? Get out of here. Now, boss lady, careful. No more wild pitches. Eliza, there's someone waiting. Get out, Johnson. Charlie, what are you doing Trying now? Trying to collect another paperweight, Maggie. Well, goodbye, boss lady. Uh, if we ever need a good man over where I'm going, I'll make you an offer. Oh, so long. Oh, horrible, contemptible man. You look as though you knew a couple of other words, too. Never mind, Liza. Your date is waiting. Randy Curtis. Randy Curtis? You have a dinner engagement with him, haven't you? That's what he said. Yes. Yes, and I'll keep it. What a relief he will be. Kendall Brooks Johnson. I'll show them all. I'll be ready in five minutes, Maggie. And tonight, I'll be beautiful. What's in this box? A new hat, a mad one. Oh, this will be perfect. Liza, you can't use that. That just came in from John Frederick. Russell is supposed to photograph Oh, it. no. I'm editor here, Maggie. I should wear it. This is what Allure says the beautiful woman should wear, so why shouldn't I? Liza. I'm going to be glamorous, Maggie. I'm going to compete with other women. I'm not afraid, Maggie. I can be beautiful, can't I, Maggie? I want to be beautiful. Oh, Maggie. Maggie. Liza. What is it? It's that song again. It's come back. What song? I don't want to listen to it. You don't hear it, Maggie. Liza. No, I won't listen. I don't hear the silly song. I don't. What are you looking at, Maggie? I'm all right. Let me alone. Everyone, Kendall, Randy, Brooks, Charlie. Let me alone. Liza. Oh, let me alone. Let me Lillian. Yes, Miss Maggie. Get something from the first aid cabinet quick. Miss Elliot has fainted. Where am I? Please tell me. Please. Who are all these people? Who are all these men? Judge, the jury, the prosecution, and the public. You're in court, boss lady. This time you must make up your mind. Now the judge has a question. Miss Elliot? Yes, Your Honor? Can you give this court any reasonable explanation why you will not make up your mind? Yes, I can. I beg your pardon. Did you say yes? Yes. Gentlemen, I shall cite the case of Jenny. 
was a girl named Jenny, whose virtues were varied and many, excepting that she was inclined always to make up her mind. And Jenny points a moral with which we cannot quarrel, as you will find. Jenny made her mind up when she was three. She herself was going to trim the Christmas tree. Christmas Eve, she lit the candle, threw the tapers away. Little Jenny was an orphan on Christmas Day. Jenny made her mind up when she was 12, that into foreign languages she would delve. But at 17 to Jenny, it was quite a blow. That in 27 languages she couldn't say no. Oh, Jenny, right as a penny, her equal would be hard to find. To Jenny, I'm beholden, her heart was big and golden, but she would make up her mind. She the door to make up her mind. Jenny made her mind up at 22. To get herself a husband was the thing to do. So she got herself all dolled up in her satins and furs. And she got herself a husband, but he wasn't hers. Jenny made her mind up at 39. She would take a trip to the Argentine. She was only on vacation, but the Latins agree. Jenny was the one who started the good neighbor policy. Oh, Jenny, right as In Portuguese or Spanish, and she would make up her mind. Jenny made her mind up at 75. She would live to be the oldest woman alive. But gin and rum and whiskey play such funny tricks. And Jenny kicked the bucket at 76. Jenny points the moral with which we can quarrel. It's a lot of common sense. Saga, prove that you are gaga if you don't keep sitting on the bed. Jenny and the story, point the way to glory, so men and women die. Anyone with vision comes to this decision. Don't make up, you shouldn't don't make, make up. up, you must make up, or never make, make up. Anyone with vision comes to this decision. Pause now for station identification. KECA Los Angeles. You are listening to the Theater Guild on the Air, presented by the United States Steel Corporation. And here again, speaking for United States Steel, is George Hicks. 
Just a short distance from where I'm now speaking is Worcester, Massachusetts, where wire was first manufactured 116 years ago. From a humble beginning, a small shop employing five men has grown over the years into what is now the Worcester plant of the American Steel and Wire Company, a member of the United States Steel family. Today, the Worcester plant employs not five people, but more than 4,000. During a visit there the other day, I was interested to learn that for many years, this plant was the only piano wire manufacturer in the entire country. It also played a big part in the history of women's fashions, uh, being at one time a leading maker of the wire for hoop skirts. And when the new electric telegraph came along, it was this plant that introduced for the first time into this country a continuous rod-rolling method that made possible the production of the long telegraph wires. Today, this American steel and wire plant is the foremost producer of wire and wire products in the New England area. Wire for everything from coat hangers to fish hooks, paper clips to hairpins, safety pins to fences, and such widely used wire products as nails, spikes, springs, and cables, to mention just a few. But if I were to name the one thing this plant is most famous for today, it would be steel for razor blades. This one New England plant is the largest producer of razor blade steel in the world. Just recently, the Worcester plant completed the greatest rehabilitation and improvement program in its history, a program which has resulted not only in the finest wire mills in all New England, but which ranks this plant among the most modern and efficient in the United States. So you can see that the Worcester, Massachusetts plant of the American Steel and Wire Company plays a large and important part in the industrial picture of New England. That's why it's a prominent member of the industrial family that serves the nation, United States Steel. You are listening to the Theater Guild on the Air, presented by the United States Steel Corporation. And now the curtain rises on the third act of Lady in the Dark, starring Gertrude Lawrence and featuring John Conti, Bert Lytell, and Alan Hewitt. Good morning, Miss Elliot. Sit down, please. Dr. Brooks, it's humiliating that I should have to return. I feel utterly defeated. Never mind, Miss Elliot. Would you care to say what brought you back? My dreams or my hallucinations. I don't know what they are. But when those voices laugh at me and accuse me, they, they raise a feeling of hurt and humiliation that I used to have. When? As a little girl. I must have forgotten it all these years, but it's the same. The bad feeling, I used to call it. Can you remember when you first felt it? Oh, yes, yes, I remember. I must have been four or five years old at the time. My parents had a guest for dinner, and I came to the parlor to say good night. Here she is to say good night and sing her little song, then off to bed with her. Liza, Liza. A beautiful name for a beautiful girl, Bob. She's a lovely child. Oh, now, now, we are reconciled to her plainness. In fact, I'm rather pleased. Her mother's beauty enough for one family. How about that, Helen? Oh, Robert, really, you made me sound so vain. Come here, my child. Well, darling, we'll teach you to do your hair properly and wear the right colors. And when you grow up, we'll just hope that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I 
wanted to cry out. It's not true. It's not true. I'm like my mother. I ran to the nursery and looked in the mirror. I felt ugly and ashamed. When my mother came in, I... I hated her because she was so beautiful. And that was this bad feeling from your childhood? Yes, it... It haunted me. But can you remember, Miss Elliot, did this feeling of hurt and disappointment ever disappear entirely when you were young at any time? It's odd that you should ask that, Dr. Brooks. Why? Well, I, I find it difficult to tell you. When I was 14, my mother died. I wanted to cry. I loved my mother. But somehow the tears wouldn't come. But that bad feeling had disappeared. I don't know why, but it was gone. Gone until... Yes? Until I was 17 years old. What happened then? Well, it was the night of my high school graduation dance. How I'd looked forward to it. Hi, Liza. Uh, hello, Ben. How does it feel to be voted the handsomest boy in the class? Oh, I think that voting stuff is plain silly. <laughs> Uh, Eliza, who are you going into supper with? Oh, no one special. Aren't you going in with Barbara? No, I'm not speaking to her. I hate a girl who flirts all the time. Well, it, it's difficult for Barbara not to, I guess. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, nuts. Come on, Eliza, say you'll have supper with me. But, but you never even noticed me before tonight, Ben. Oh, say, can a fella suddenly like a girl? Suddenly? All right, Ben, if you want. Oh, ben. Gee, I'm sorry. I guess I just felt like kissing you and I couldn't help it. That's oh, all right. Gee, you're nice, Liza. I should have noticed it before. You... What's the matter? Oh, I don't know. I, I feel funny. I guess it's just because I'm happy. Yeah, me too. Gee, it's nice here, sitting with you, Liza. What's that song, Liza? Well, I didn't even know I was singing. Well, go ahead, it's cute. Why, well, I, I don't think I can remember it, Ben. I, I haven't thought of it in years. My ship has sails that are made of silk. The decks are trimmed. Gold and of Jan and Spice, there's a paradise in the home. My ships aglow with a million pearls and rubies fill each bin. The sun sits high. dream need never be 
Practically a baby. Gee, you're nice, Liza. Say, look, let me get you something to drink. They got raspberry punch and grape juice. All and... right, grape juice. All right, I'll be right back, Liza. Stay here and keep our seats. Okay. I want to be sure I understand you correctly, Miss Elliot. You say that night you sang the song that you can't remember. Have you ever remembered it since? No, Dr. Brooks. I didn't care for the song particularly after that night. Why? What happened? Well, Ben went to bring us some punch. And as I waited for him to return, I felt like a princess. The handsomest boy in the class had chosen me over all the other girls. And he never came back. I was still waiting half an hour later when someone told me that the first girl, Barbara, had captured my prince as he walked by. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, Dr. Brooks, it's amusing now. But I remember I never felt so desolate in my life as I did at that moment. Good. Now, I think I have something to say to you, Miss Elliot. You may not care for it. Perhaps you'd rather hear it some other time. Not at all. Go ahead. I'm all right. Well, let me try to fit the pieces together if I can. Because, as a little girl, they said you were not as beautiful as your mother... You felt rejected and denied of your parents' love. Then, as you grew older, you reached out for love again. Until, at a crucial moment, another girl, also very beautiful, robbed you of a man's attention. She shattered your hopes a second time. And I think that was when you began to withdraw as a woman. Uh, do you mind this, Miss Elliot? Well, I, I mind, but go ahead. You probably thought you would avoid being hurt if you didn't compete with other women. You tried to compensate for this with your career. But now you are experiencing a rebellion at your unfulfillment as a woman. What about Kendall? I did love him and he loved me. Dr. Brooks, can you explain that? Not yet, Miss Elliot. Perhaps we'll find out later. Or better still, perhaps you'll discover it yourself. Maggie, but she still isn't back from lunch. At 3.30? Well, we'll go inside and wait. Come on, Charlie. How long do we have to hang around, Maggie? Now, you just sit down, Charlie. You are going to apologize to her, and properly, with no jokes. I'm staying right here to see that you do it. Look, I know I should have quit and gone out quietly. But I've been here six years, and that's a long time to be irritated by a woman. You furnish your own share of irritation, my boy, and on purpose. I've watched you do it. Know why? You tell me. Because I see through that big executive pose of hers, and that frightens her. She doesn't know that what I see underneath is one terrific gal. I see. So the real reason you're yanking her pigtails is because you like her. You're cute, Maggie. Want a wet kiss? Stop it, Charlie. Can't you be serious for more than a minute? Hello, Maggie. I know I'm terribly late. Having worried about you half the afternoon, could I ask where you've been? Yes, this time you needn't have worried. I've been having lunch with Randy Curtis, and I actually couldn't get away from him. 
I see we have company. Charlie's been waiting to see you, Liza, under instructions. And don't forget them, Mr. Johnson. Sit down, Johnson. I want to see you, too. I just want a minute for some unfinished business. I'll make it quick. Now, wait, Johnson. I want to ask you a question. We've done so much good work together here in this office. Why have we always fought so much? It's been a pleasure. You're a darn good editor. And you're the best man in your business. We're superior people. Oh, come on, Johnson. Put him up. You can say what you like. Look, Miss Elliot, I'd love to say a lot of things. Come out in the open, and I will. Come out where I'm the boss, just once. Dinner, cocktails, you can name it yourself. Maybe I will. It's the best offer I've had today, Johnson. Miss Elliot. Excuse me. Yes, Lillian, what is it? Mr. Nesbitt is coming in. Mm. Oh, thank you, Lillian. All right, Miss E. But I'll be back for the answer on that dinner proposition. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Nesbitt. Hello. Just leaving. Hello, Kendall. Now, let me talk, Liza. I've been thinking all night. I'm going to say it fast. It's over, Liza, isn't it? Kendall, please. Oh, I know how it is, Liza. Maybe I've known it for a long time. Strange things bring people together, dear. The same things tear them apart. It's not your fault, Kendall. It's me. Oh, darling, help me to do the right thing. Right thing is to face it, Liza. We've been two people in the dark. You're trying to fight your way out. I wish you luck, my sweet. Only one thing. Some way, somehow... Find a small place for me in your life, Liza. Don't leave me to myself. There'll always be a place, Kendall. Always. Oops. Sorry, am I butting in? No, no. Stay right here, Maggie. I'm going. And stop looking as though you blundered into True Story magazine. Goodbye, Liza. Goodbye, darling. Liza, you look white. It's all right, Maggie. It's just that part of my life walked out of that door just now. Part of me. I hated hurting Kendall, but I'm through with hiding and running away. All right, stick to it. There are plenty of men. Now you'd better make up your mind about this one. Randy Curtis has come back. Randy? Yes, and if I know the look on that cowboy's face, he's come to carry you off on his educated horse. Oh. I'll be back to see what happens. Come in, Mr. Curtis. The place is all yours. Liza, I wanted to see you. Well, this is nice, Randy, but what brings you back? Well, the only way I can tell you is to tell you quick. I've been walking up and down the block going over this thing, and I decided to plunge. Plunge? Head first. Liza, will you marry me? What, Randy? No, 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 wait. This I... is my speech, and I've got to say it. I wouldn't care if I never saw Hollywood again. What I'm trying to say is you wouldn't have to give up any of your own life, Liza, for me. You see, you're the only woman I've ever known who's given me a feeling of peace. I get a feeling of courage from you for the first time in my life. Courage? From me. I need someone like you, Liza, to lean on. To always be there. I guess the truth is I'm a pretty frightened guy inside. Frightened? You, Randy? Goes back to when I was a kid. And the funny thing is, it still goes. I often think when I'm playing one of those big strongman scenes, boy, if they only knew. Well, thank you for telling me, Randy. You know, of course, I can't answer you now. Oh, sure, sure. I just had to tell you I'll explode. <laughs> and now I want to get out of here quick. All right. I'll phone you later? Dinner, maybe? <laughs> maybe. Goodbye, Liza, and try to love me. Give me my chance. Oh, Maggie, Maggie. I almost made a great mistake. 
I almost twisted up my life all over again. You mean Randy? Darling, he seemed a tower of strength. The way he looks, those parts he plays. And you know what, Maggie? He's another Kendall, frightened and insecure, needing a mother, not a wife. A poor boy. Well, it just goes to show, never fall in love with a movie hero unless you're close enough to pinch him. Oh, Maggie. Cheese it, Maggie. Let a man go to work. Boss lady, can I clear your desk and make room for this? Yeah, what have we got there? I'll show you. Uh, Maggie, didn't you leave the supper dishes in the sink? All right, don't shove, Johnson. <laughs> Charlie! Now, Liza, I still want that date. But if you'll give me 63 seconds of your high-priced time right All now... All right, Charlie, what have you got? Layouts. It's the dummy of a new editorial plan for the uh-huh. magazine. Whole new format. Mm-hmm. I never showed it to you because, well, I didn't think it would ever be welcome. But look at it. If I know anything about this business... It's good, see? Yes, Charlie, yes, it looks fine. Some of it's a little wild, tries too hard, but I can see it's good. Okay, you can call this a going-away present to remember old Charlie Johnson by. Why go, Charlie? Why don't you stick around here? Huh? You know, if we got ourselves into proper harness, we might make a pretty good team. I think so. Uh Uh-uh, sorry, it wouldn't work. You mean two bosses? Roughly, Oh, now you make me feel like I really should apologize. But an apology isn't the right thing for you and me. You know why there's always been this secret battle between us. If you're half the girl I think you are, you'll admit it. It's because that you had to be the boss, always. And something in me deeply resents that. I know I've been pretty rotten to you, and I've kicked myself for it afterwards. But I have to win, Liza, because... Well, because I'm me, I guess. I will take up the rest at dinner tonight. Are we going to dinner? We sure are. Tonight and every night. And breakfast every morning, if I have my way. And remember, I have to win. Yes. Boss, ma'am. Darling. (laughs) It took a long time, Liza. Too long. Uh... Liza. Now, move out from behind that desk and let me get at those layouts. Look, Liza. More color to begin with, see? Uh-huh. Nice pages. And look, suppose we use a bolder type. Why not? Give me a red crayon. All right. Here's one. Okay. Let's go. La, 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 Land of jam and spice, there's a paradise. Do you know that song, too? A few lines. I haven't heard it since I was a kid. Do you know it? Yes. I remember all the words now. I do not care if that day arrives. That dream need never be. If If the ship I sing doesn't also bring my
The curtain has fallen on the Theater Guild on the Air production of The Lady in the Dark by Moss Hart. Sponsored by the United States Steel Corporation. Starring Gertrude Lawrence as Liza and featuring John Conte as Charlie, Bert Lytell as Kendall, and Alan Hewitt as Dr. Brooks. Other members of our cast included Jane Seymour as Maggie, Keen Crockett as Russell, James Monks as Randy, Terry Harris as Lillian, Barbara Townsend as Mother, and Jack Manning as Ben. Miss Lawrence will return to Boston November 17th in the stage production tonight at 8.30. And now, here is Roger Pryor with a word about next week's play. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, the Theater Guild on the Air presents Walter Houston. In his most recent stage success, a delightful character comedy, Apple of His Eye, which enjoyed a long run on Broadway and on tour. He will be supported by many of the players who appeared in the original Broadway production. Remember next week, Apple of His Eye, starring Walter Houston. And remember, too, that the trademark of United States Steel, USS, on any steel product, is your guide to quality steel. The Theatre Guild on the Air is under the supervision of Lawrence Langner and Teresa Halburn with Homer Fickett directing. Carol Irwin is production executive and our minor martial executive director. The orchestra and chorus were under the supervision and direction of our conductor, Harold Levy. Everybody benefits, everybody gives. Let those words remind you that your local community chest needs your help. So give generously to your community chest. Your announcer, Norman Brokenshire. The United States Steel Corporation hopes that you'll be with us next Sunday at this same time. Lady in the Dark was adapted three other times for radio. In 1950, Gertrude Lawrence reprised her role of Liza Elliott on the Theater Guild on the Air, now with Hume Cronin, and repeating his Broadway role of Charlie Johnson, actor MacDonald Carey. In 1945, Ginger Rogers and Ray Milland reprised their starring roles from the 1941 film adaptation of Lady in the Dark on the Lux Radio Theater. And in 1953, Judy Garland starred in a production also for the Lux Radio Theater alongside actor John Lund. Organized in 1919 to improve the quality of American theater, the Theater Guild first experimented with radio productions in Theater Guild Dramas, a CBS series which ran from 1943 to 1944. The Theater Guild on the Air debuted September 9, 1945, with Wings Over Europe, starring Burgess Meredith. Theaters across the country need your support now, more than ever. We hope you'll consider a donation to Porchlight Music Theater today. Just go to porchlightmusictheater.org. Until next time, on Classic Musicals from the Golden Age of Radio, I'm Michael Weber.